we are repentant. We are grateful. We are redeemed. We are prayerful. We are First Baptist Church. I trust that everyone is doing well today. Hasn't been beautiful so far to see these families on stage with us and to dedicate them this morning, uh, to see these kiddos up front, uh, listening to the stories from the scriptures, being encouraged by Pastor Jimmy, and hopefully already worship has been sweet. Um, my name is Danny, and I am the preaching pastor here in Lagos. If you're new with us today, we're so glad uh, you're worshiping with us, that you chose to walk through these unknown doors and be among uh, some people perhaps you've never met before. We hope you feel at home already, but uh, we would love for you to let us know that you're with us today. So if you could uh, whip out your device or phone, go to fbcsa.org slash connect. Um, even now, you can just drop us that virtual line and say, hey, I was worshiping with you today, and, and we'd love to make contact uh, with you uh, in the future. But thank you so much for being with us um, this morning. Uh, let me also continue to encourage you uh, to give, um, to be a part of what God is doing through this family. And as an act of worship, you can do that two ways. Uh, you can do that as you uh, leave this morning. We have these cool little receptacles. Uh, as you go through these doors, you can put that in there. Or you can go online uh, to fbcsa.org slash give. Um, next week, next week, I just want to give you a heads up. We will not be in the book of Judges. Uh, we will be in Acts chapter 2. Now, I'm going to encourage you to go ahead and, and read the portion of Scripture because it's only one verse. Um, it's at the end of Judges chapter 3. Uh, go ahead and read that. But we'd also love to spend time in Acts chapter 2. And um, also, just to let you know, I'm not preaching next week. Rick Henderson is preaching next week, right here, um, and he will be walking us through Acts uh, chapter 2 uh, as we look at the church that began gathering together in community, and we're going to be in awe of the things that God did through them and be encouraged and uh, challenged by Rick. Something else um, I'll, I'll mention again at our close as we pray, VBS is upon us, Right? Goodness gracious, it's been a long time since we've done VBS. Weren't able to meet last year, last summer, but here we are. Uh, VBS, um, one of these beautiful moments in our church family where we can uh, gather kiddos uh, and a host of volunteers uh, to talk about Jesus and who he is and what he's done so that uh, we can know him through his word and the power of the spirit and, and these kids can continue to grow up in Jesus. And so hopefully you're already praying. We'll have a time uh, of prayer um, before we dismiss this morning, just praying over what God is going to do in VBS. Um, we are now in Judges chapter 3. And if you would stand with me, we're going to read just a few verses, uh, verses 12 through 15. Let's read this together. Once again, the Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight, and the Lord gave King Eglon of Moab control over Israel because of their evil. Eglon enlisted the Ammonites, the Amalekites, as, and he went out and defeated Israel 
taking possession of Jericho, the city of Palms. And the Israelites served Eglon of Moab for 18 years. But when the people of Israel cried out to the Lord for help, the Lord again raised up a rescuer to save them. You may be seated. Joshua had challenged the tribes to serve the Lord, their God only. But when they moved into their inheritance, each tribe taking residence in the land that they had been given, the land was still occupied. And although the Lord had commanded very clearly that they were to drive out those other peoples, those other nations, they failed to do so. Either failing to finish the job or just making treaties with the remaining nations that were in the land that they had inherited. And they recall Joshua had said, as for you and your house, I will serve the Lord. But the refrain that the people began saying was, as for our house, we too will serve the Lord only when we're able and it's convenient. The result of that is just as God had promised, as he told them, the neighboring peoples will become a snare, a thorn in their side, a constant temptation to turn to other gods. The land had demanded complete trust in God and his faithful provision, but this proved to be too much for the tribes of Israel. The neighboring gods had offered the Israelites the, the foolish means to guarantee their own prosperity. And so in their fear and anxiety, these neighboring customs and religious practices appealed to their sense and desire to control their own destiny. The gods, it seemed, answered the question, what must we do to flourish in this kind of land? And so they believed the voices of men rather than the voice of God who had delivered them out of Egypt and promised them to care for every need if they would only trust him and listen to him and obey him. As for me and our house, we'll do what the Joneses do. It seems to work for them. And yet we know that God would not abandon them, but every season, every season would be a new opportunity for the people of God, these 12 tribes, to once again trust in God alone, to choose him and to follow him alone. And yet the people of Israel, all 12 tribes, would descend further and further into idolatry and immorality without remorse, it seemed. And this took them places that they never would have imagined or found themselves. Rather than prosperity, they tasted oppression and pain. They suffered. And in their moan of suffering, they would cry out to the God of their answers. As for me and our house, we need help. These were not cries of sorrow or repentance, but pain and suffering and God, being rich in mercy, withholding the full judgment they truly deserved, he intervened by raising up a local leader, a judge, who would lead them in the charge of deliverance from their oppressive neighbors. And then for a season, peace would come. 
And once again, God would give them opportunity to fully turn to him and to trust him and to believe him and to listen to him and to entrust to him their flourishing, to provide every need that they would have in the land that God had given them. But they would not. They would only become worse and worse and worse. As for me and my house, thanks, but no thanks. We'll go our own way. And then as the generations before, the Israelites descended into idolatry, which once again led the people led to God's hand of discipline, leading to their oppression by a neighboring people. Uh, this time, God would strengthen the Moabites against the Israelites. Eglon was their king. And when the Israelites would hear his name, they couldn't help but chuckle because it was a variation of the word fat calf. Or at least that's what they called him. He was an obese, dim-witted man who prided himself in his position. Of course, the story couldn't have been too funny because the people had been overcome and oppressed by this supposed dim-witted king of the Moabites. But look how far they had fallen. The people had even lost Jericho, that first city that God had given into their hands. And so for 18 years, they felt the pain of oppression once again under Eglon's rule. And so they cried out to the Lord, and they asked for help in the midst of their pain. And the Lord heard their cries in his mercy. And in his mercy, God raised up once again a deliverer, a judge named Ehud. Now Ehud was a man from the tribe of Benjamin, and he was left-handed. We know that he was left-handed because the Bible says that he was left-handed. And it illustrates Ehud's incredible cunning. Ehud had fashioned a double-edged dagger and fastened it to his right calf. No one ever thought to search the right calf because everyone else was right-handed and reached to draw their daggers and swords from their left. Ehud was cunning. And so with his dagger hidden, Ehud was sent as a part of a delegation to give the annual tribute or tax to the Moabites. He went, he gave, and as the delegation was returning home, he passed stone idols. It was as if those idols were a very picture of their condition. They had no idea. They were deaf and dumb as to what God was about to do through this cunning man. And so Ehud doubles back. He returns to the palace to seek audience with this fat calf, Eglon, the king. And upon arrival, he told Eglon's servant, I have a very special message, a secret message that I alone can give to Eglon. Ehud appealed to this man's pride, flattered him with probably a host of words. And in his pride and naivety, Eglon dismissed the remaining servants. They were alone. Ehud was then ushered into Eglon's upper chamber and walking towards Eglon, the Moabite king rose to meet him. 
And as he did, Ehud reached for his hidden double-edged dagger from his right thigh, and he thrust it into the king's belly as he was descending down those steps to meet him. It wasn't a pretty scene. Ehud escaped without no one knowing, locking the door to the chamber from the inside. It wasn't until much later that Eglon's servants discovered what Ehud had done. In the meantime, it bought him enough time to gather and muster an army. And once again, as he walked past those stone idols, it was if to remind us that the other gods, those supposed gods, had no idea. They could see, nor see, nor hear. That day, with his army, the Israelites conquered the Moabites, killing 10,000 soldiers, and the land returned to peace for 80 years. As for me and my house, as for me and my house, as for me and my house, we will say we are God's people, but truly just go our own way. We will say that we are God's people until we forget him altogether once again. I have just a few observations from that story that hopefully is a source of encouragement for you today. I want all of us to walk away with one predominant thought and then one major question for us. The the predominant thought is for us to be in awe of the extravagant mercy of God on behalf of a wicked, wicked people who had forgotten him, not by mistake, but willfully. They did not follow God, listen to God. In the midst of the temptation that was surrounding them, the God, that God in his extravagant mercy would deliver them time and time again. I want us to be captivated by that. The question that I want you to walk away from today is, what about me and my house? What about my house? What about my home? What about my family? What will we do with this kind of God who demonstrates that kind of mercy? And so the first observation that hopefully will lead us to that kind of question is, that pain and suffering, in this case, ongoing oppression, is a reminder for us that something is tragically going wrong. Something is not right. Something is not right. In Judges chapter 3, verse 12, we hear this cry of the people. But when the people of Israel cried out to the Lord for help, they cried out to the Lord because they were experiencing oppression and suffering. And that oppression and suffering was a light bulb, and it had been going on for some time, that this is not right. Something is wrong, not as it should be. Sin and brokenness. And and sometimes the pain that we suffer from sin and brokenness is not always our choosing. In this case, 
It was the people of Israel's choice. They had, they had chosen that past for this, themselves through disobedience and idolatry, led them to that deepest, dark place of oppression and pain. But sometimes the pain and suffering that we experience is not necessarily of our own choosing. In other words, you're not always suffering because you have chosen to sin as an individual. But we experience suffering for two main reasons. Because we live in a, a very broken and depraved world, the, the, the human race has chosen to forget God, to neglect the creator, and worship the creation. This is Romans chapter 1. We walked away from honoring and giving him thanks and honoring ourselves and exalting ourselves. And the reality of that is, is that we are a broken people. And because of brokenness, we taste suffering and oppression and pain often. Sometimes the pain and suffering we experience is because of someone else's choice. We receive the hurt and pain from someone else's brokenness and sinful choices. But pain is the mechanism through which we know something's wrong. Something's got to change. Something has to give. Two weeks ago, all of you have been asking, why are you limping? I told you last week... Um, but you want to know how I knew something was wrong with my knee? Because it hurt. One moment, I didn't feel pain. And the next moment, I had pain radiate across my knee. And my body, your body is designed that when it experiences pain, you know something's not right. Something is wrong, and when I experienced pain in that moment, I stopped what I was doing, right? I said, something's got to change. Something's wrong. And what's true about my knee is also true about the suffering you face, and what's true about the suffering and oppression that the Israelites were facing. They were saying, this isn't right. This isn't wrong. This is wrong. Something has to change in our situation in order to alleviate the pain and suffering that we're experiencing. We know pain and suffering is not a part of the designed human experience. God didn't create you to know pain and suffering. It's a result of the fall. If we go to Revelation chapter 21, verse 4, when Jesus completely redeems all of creation, what does he say? He will wipe every tear from their eyes, and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things will be gone forever. Pain is not just a part of the human experience. One day, we will not know it, nor were you designed for it. We experience it because of sin and brokenness, and it is an indicator to us that something has to give. Something has to change. But something else that's really interesting about pain and suffering and our cries for help. A cry for help, as in, is in this case, in verse 15, when the people of Israel cried out to the Lord for help. A cry out to the Lord for help or, or an awareness of suffering and pain does not always mean repentance. It's certainly not gonna be the case for these Israelites. They were aware of their pain. They were aware that things needed to be to change in their situation to alleviate the pain and suffering. But it becomes very clear in the cycle that was in and ongoing among the people of Israel, all 12 tribes, that they really didn't have a heart of repentance. To recognize it was their disobedience and idolatry that led them to that pain. They did not turn for that. 
It's a good reminder for us because sometimes, even in our own situations of pain and suffering, just because you cry out to the Lord doesn't necessarily mean you're being repentant. You just want the pain to stop. And yet the pain should be not only an indicator that something is wrong and something has to give, but also lead us, should lead us to a place of ongoing repentance in our life. Even if we are just the recipient of someone else's sin, we should have a keen awareness that something has to give and that we should repent on behalf of others and for ourselves. It should lead us to repentance. But let me tell you, pain and crying out to the Lord doesn't necessarily mean you are ready to change and come to a place of repentance in your life. I hope you do. I hope you do. The second observation is God's mercy in the midst of their pain. Listen to these verses. But when the people of Israel cried out to the Lord for help, the Lord again raised up a rescuer to save them. Isn't that remarkable? The Lord again, the Lord again raised up a rescuer to save them. In verse 28, listen to this. He who would say, follow me, as he's mustering this army, he said, for the Lord has given you, the Lord has given you, and this incredible act of mercy the Lord has given you. This God is an extravagantly merciful God in the face of their disobedience and idolatry and stubbornness and hardness of heart and unwillingness to repent and yet again God raises up a deliverer and his mercy didn't just start there his mercy began when he heard their cries a God is merciful because he hears us when we cry Listen to these verses in Psalm 116. It says, I love the Lord. I love the Lord because he hears my voice and my prayer for mercy. Because he bends down to listen, I will pray as long as I have breath. Our God is a merciful God because he listens to the cries of a stubborn, stubborn, stone-hearted, rebellious people. They don't deserve his ear, but he gives them his ear and he bends down and he listens to our cry. Our pain is God's mercy. Can you imagine if we had a system that didn't respond to pain, our bodies? What if I didn't experience pain in my knee? Can you imagine how much worse things would have been? But even the pain that we experience, either at our own hand or someone else's hand, or just because we live in a devastatingly broken world, the very fact that we can taste and know pain is an act of God's mercy, that warning light that says, be aware, something's gotta change. God is merciful. And God sends a deliverer. It's God's mercy. Lamentations chapter 3, verses 22 through 23. These beautiful verses that are written out of a heart of ag agony. A prophet who's lamenting over the condition of his own people. He says, 
faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercies never cease. I mean, he's praying that in the heart of suffering. They're new every morning. Each morning, God is merciful. Can I remind you this morning that God's mercy has no limit? God's mercy can reach to the deepest and darkest places of the human experience. Even if it's of our own making, which it is, God's mercy withholds judgment and he hears our cry and he intervenes and rescues us from that pit, that deep, dark pit where we feel like we're just stuck in the, that miriness and that we can't go anywhere. We can't see a way out. God's mercy has no limit. And something else, think about this. God's mercy didn't wait on the Israelites to get their act together. Yeah, they cried out to the Lord and the Lord responded. But they didn't put away their idols. They didn't change their behavior. They didn't get their act together. They were just responding out of their pain. And even, even though they still hung on to all these things, the God of mercy came. Listen, the God of mercy doesn't wait for you to get your act together. Can you imagine what life would be like if God had to wait for us to get our act together? What did Paul say in Romans chapter five? When you were helpless, God showed his mercy through his son. When you were weak and could do nothing about it, and you were stuck in your sin, your sin, your sin, when you are sinful to the core, in his mercy he sent his son. When you were God's enemy, you weren't for him, you were against him. God was rich in mercy. Paul would say it like this in Ephesians. He would say, you, you know you're children of wrath, right? You are worthy of the full judgment of God. God didn't send his son Jesus because there, you somehow got your act together in the last minute. God sent his son Jesus as an act of mercy because of your desperate need for rescue and deliverance. God is merciful. His mercy. There was those seasons of peace. Here's another picture of mercy. There were those seasons of peace in between oppression and deliverance among the judges, 40 years, 80 years, in this case it's 80 years. It is an act and show of mercy that he gives us seasons of peace and painlessness, why? There are seasons of peace and painlessness because it's a new opportunity to demonstrate repentance and change in our life. I'm gonna, I'm gonna give you another chance, another chance to listen and follow me. Romans chapter two, four, will tell us that don't you know the nature of God's kindness? His kindness or his withholding of judgment for your life is intended to lead you to a place of change and repentance, to be aware that you've gone your own way, you're doing your own thing, 
and you haven't honored or given God thanks, but you've worshipped yourself and you've worshipped stuff and you've worshipped your own trajectory. Paul says, don't you know that his withholding of judgment, that kindness, that other day, that other week is an opportunity for you to repent? It's mercy. It's mercy. Those 80 years after the defeat of the Moabites was an act of God's mercy. All along the way is God's extravagant mercy. But listen to this. I've already alluded to this. We know this. We're New Testament believers. We've, we've seen Christ from the scriptures, the one who lived a life without sin and who, as the Son of God, went to the cross and died for our sin and rose from the grave so that we could taste victory, deliverance, victory over sin and death. The book of Judges is full of judges. From last week, I just mentioned him briefly by name, and this week it's Ehud. Listen, Ehud was insufficient. He was unable, he was unable to change the hearts of the people, right? He could rescue them from a season, he could lead an army, he could, in his cunning, assassinate a king, but what Ehud could not do is change the hearts of the people from stone to flesh. Uh, he couldn't seal these broken sisters that couldn't, can't hold water. That's how Jeremiah would describe the people, just broken cisterns that can't hold water. They just always leak. Ehud could not fill the fissures or those cracks of those cisterns. Judge after judge after judge after judge is insufficient, incapable of doing the kind of deliverance that we need, that they needed. But you know who is sufficient? Who? Jesus. Jesus, Jesus is the... the once for all judge. Not only does he rescue us from our own place that we've chosen and made for ourselves, he's rescued us in his mercy that has no limit and pulls us out of the pit. He offers us forgiveness, but then Jesus alone, through the power of the Spirit of God, has the, the means in which to restore our hearts. That was the promise from the Old Testament as it forecasted that judge, that great high priest in Jesus, that Jesus alone, the Son of God, has the means to not only rescue us, but heal our heart. that we could see him and savor him and choose him and do away with our idolatry once for all. What mercy. And he didn't wait for us to get it together. What mercy. So here's the question for us. How about you and your house? What about you and your house? Who you serve? Will for you and your house rejoice in the mercies of God? Will it rejoice in the mercies of God? 
We live in a hurting, hurting world that is more divided now than ever before, it feels like. Do we rejoice in the God of mercy that can do a work in a world like ours? Will you rejoice in God's mercy in your own life and how he's rescued you and redeemed you and is healing and restoring your own heart? For you and your house, will you repent and believe? Which, by the way, was God's desire from the beginning. When he first called the people, the Israelites, he just said, will you, will you know me? Will you believe me? Will you follow me? Can we have this dynamic relationship where I can be your God and you will listen to my voice and will you follow me? That's what God's asking of us. Will you and your house repent of where you are and believe and, and listen to Jesus' voice in the scriptures and say, yes, I'm going to obey him. I'm going to repent where it's required of me to repent. I'm going to own up and become aware of the sin and choices I've made in my life that have hurt me and hurt my family and hurt others. By the grace of God, I'm going to do right by that. Will that be what your house is like? And will you give mercy? Isn't that what Jesus said? My God, listen, my God has given you so much mercy. Will you be merciful? Our world and even the church talking about us, we are so reluctant to give mercy to others, especially if they're not like us or think differently than us. I'm gonna wait till they get their act together, till they repent, then I'll show mercy. But that's not how God treated us. And as his church and his people, we are called to be the kind of merciful people in the same way that God was merciful to us. I'm gonna extend mercy to this other person. I'm gonna give mercy because it's in that gracious act of mercy that they can see and experience the love of Jesus perhaps for the very first time. Listen, we've gotta break down walls and as the people of God, we've gotta be the people of mercy to those who are hurting the most. Those who are opposed to us those that think we're crazy, those who are on the wrong side of the political aisle, whatever that is, I'm gonna extend mercy to them. Will that be your house? Will that be your house? Will we rejoice in the extravagant mercy of God? Will we repent and believe and actually listen to God's voice and do what he says? And will we be people of mercy, giving the same kind of extravagant mercy to others. Let's pray. Father, we marvel um, if we're really looking and listening, we marvel at these stories in Judges. We click our tongues at these people, these tribes who just never got it right. But we should marvel at your mercy. Help us to be enamored by your mercy. Help us to rejoice in your mercy. 
of all people on the planet, your church, who've been redeemed. Not because we're somehow better off or wiser than anybody else. We, we are those people. But because you've given us mercy because we were once your enemies. May we rejoice in your mercy. May we listen and repent where we need to repent and do what you ask us to do. And may we be givers of mercy. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, will you respond with me? Will you respond with me? I need to respond. I need to rejoice in God's mercy. But listen, this altar is open. If you want to come and pray and uh, repent or whatever God needs to do, um, if you need to put your faith and trust in Jesus for the very first time because you see his mercy in your life, I want to know about that. I'll be standing right over there. Uh, Come grab me. I want to know that you're putting your faith and trust in Jesus. But will you respond today? Will you respond? Some of you are hurting. A lot of you are hurting. May your hurt and even your pain lead you to a merciful God of deliverance. Come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. Let's respond. First Baptist Church has been broadcasting its services of new life and historic faith for 46 years. We would like to ask that you continue to pray with us for this ministry and also for your financial support so that we can continue this ministry for years to come. Thank you.